we're going to start with a word of prayer. We're going to talk about how not to take communion, because it's always important. Let's pray. <sighs> Jesus, we love you. What a what a glorious time to be in, Lord, this anticipation for spring, knowing that it's right around the corner. Uh, not not so foolish or naive to think that, that winter is not going to go away without a fight, but we know that, that things are changing. And Jesus, metaphorically, we know that things are changing, that you are bringing us as a church and as individuals into a brand new season, a season where old trials will fade away, new ones will arise, and you will show us new strength. You will show us new uh, depths of your grace and love and mercy. And I pray tonight that as we read about communion, uh, coming together, being together, uh, caring for one another, uh, partaking of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, that, that we would not just be reminded of what to do, but see the errors and the folly of doing it the wrong way. And above all things, may your son, Jesus, be glorified. May all men be drawn unto him as he is high and lifted up. We give you the praise tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so turn to, oh, where do we want to start? Uh, turn to Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. And we'll start with the overview, the, the overarching theme of why we're doing what we're doing here at the chapel. Matthew chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 24. Just read a couple of verses. Um... Once we read, you'll probably say, oh, yeah, I, I remember Jesus saying that. Well, we're going to be reminded, and we have to be reminded constantly about this. Verse 24 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is more than just imitation. It's more than just listening to his teachings and saying, "Yeah, those are pretty. Those are pretty good teachings. That's that's a pretty good way to live life." It's it's wanting to follow him and be like him. It's looking at what he has done and saying, "That's how I want to live my life." And while his path is going to be a, is going to be straight as an arrow, you know, our path is going to be shaky at best all the way through our lives. But there's going to be moments where where we get things right and there will be times where there's great success and we'll just rejoice that, that yes, for this brief moment, I have done the will of the Lord. I got it right. And, you know, then there's going to be times that probably going to feel like a lot longer where it's, oh, I just, I'm falling short. And we're going to have those episodes in our lives continuously. The key is to not get too full of ourselves when we're successful. It's not beat ourselves up too much when we you know, eventually fall. Our life is going to involve both. And as long as we stay focused on Jesus, get back up, pick up our cross, follow him, we're going to be okay. If we get too uh, low in our self-esteem or too high in our self-esteem, that's when we're going to enter into folly. But we, we want to stay right with Jesus, be like him, and in doing so, uh, you know, please him. And so tonight we're going to talk about communion. And and last week um, we talked about the, the, what to do, what what communion is all about, why we take communion, why uh, why it's bread and and wine and and the the symbolism of it all. We talked about what Catholics teach, um, 
you know, if you're listening to the recording from last week, it sounds a lot like throw Catholics under the bus night. It was not that at all. It was just some of the things that they believe about communion simply aren't true or biblical. So now turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As you turn there, I keep going back to the graphic because it keeps reminding me of why we're doing this. There is a definite cost. Carrying your cross going to hurt. Carrying your cross, crosses are heavy, splintery. They hurt. But as much as there is a cost to following Jesus, there is a great reward. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so so it, it, it's almost wrong to say, no, I just, I'm just doing this because I'm just you know, trying to be uh, not prideful, but in a sense becoming self-righteous. You know, we can do things not solely for the reward, but to know that, yes, God is a, God is a rewarder of those who seek him. That, that first and foremost, he gives us himself. He's died for our sins so that we might be forgiven. He, is, he has died and, and sent us the Holy Spirit so that we might be filled with the very power of God to fulfill the will of God. And so God's a rewarder. And on top of that, on top of Jesus dying for us, us being forgiven, being filled with the power of God, uh, being redeemed, all of that, I mean, we just get to enjoy life. And there are times where on top of that we get, you know, we get the pony or the bike or the toy, the, the thing that, that we want and you know we really enjoy, and God just blesses us with those things. Probably not really a pony. I don't want a pony. But you know there are times where I get a gift or a thing or, or, or an experience that, what did I do to deserve this? I was nothing more than a child of God. There was no other – I hadn't earned it. Um, it was just something that the Lord gave to me as, as a gift, much like a father gives to a child. And so God is a God who rewards those who diligently seek him. Now going to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, we're going to find some folks who did not diligently seek Jesus through communion. And I love a good uh, excuse me, I love a bad example as much as I love a good example. Good examples um they can make me feel less, you know, they can make me feel like I'll never attain that. But when I see somebody, especially somebody I respect, being a bad example, I realize, oh, they're human too. And like them, I could probably do what they're seeking to do as well. It's not a sense of haughtiness. It's, it's just realizing that we're all human and frail and that we fail sometimes. And these people in the Corinthian church, they're failing big time. So verse 17 says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Now imagine yourself being a member of the Corinthian church, and you've got a letter from Paul the Apostle, the one who's going around, starting churches, standing up to authorities, preaching the gospel, being persecuted because of it. And you get this letter, and you get to this part, and it says, when you guys have church, it's, it, 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 everything ends up worse. When you guys get together and have your potlucks and take communion and have a church service and somebody preaches and there's music, it's worse than before you started. I don't know about you. That would be a kick in the teeth to me. For me to, to get a letter from, from 
you know, practically Jesus to me here at South Bay Chapel, me thinking I'm doing a great job. Also, I find out when you have church, it's worse than when you first began. Wow, that would that would just be devastating to me. And that's how Paul starts uh, this discourse. Verse 18, for, and now he's going to give examples. Because it's, it's one thing to hurl accusation. You've got to have some proof behind it. Verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. I get from the Bible that God's not big with division. He's not down with, with us being divided for petty reasons. We are allowed to be divided when, when it comes to close-handed issues. For instance, if, we, if there was a sister church right across the street and we grew up together and they started telling people, Jesus is not the only way to the Father, that, that there are other ways to be saved. If everybody basically goes to heaven, there is no hell. We'd have to say, you know what? We have to divide because we don't believe – we're not believing the same things anymore. But let's say imaginary sister church across the street says, we believe that you should wear a suit to church on Sunday, that church should be at uh, 9.30, not 10.30, that, uh, that Saturday night services are, are not biblical – and um, you have to take communion every Sunday. We'd say, you know what? We don't believe that. We have liberty to be different. We're still brothers and sisters in Christ. We are different, yet we are focused on the same Savior. So we can remain uh, united. Not, not um, uniform, but we're still united. <sighs> Paul says, when you guys get together, everybody gets off into your own little groups. You got the older folks over here who who are looking down upon the young, and you got the younger groups over here who think they know everything, and then you got the wives over here who are looking at the single ladies with a with a sneer, and you got the single ladies, all the single ladies looking at the <laughs> that was a horrible joke, looking at the um the married wives, you know, looking down upon them for what they're missing out and you know being subject to their husbands and and the single guys and the and the married men and the and the kids and and then you got the pastors looking down at the people and just division 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 everybody coming together oh hi did you see what they were wearing division division Paul says when you get together division and he goes on to clarify and i believe in it in part for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. There are always going to be at least two groups in every church. Those who are Christians and those who are not. There will always be that line that, that non-Christians in this boat and Christians in this boat that divides them. Paul says that, that there's, there better be something that marks a difference between the two. If a Christian looks like a non-Christian, there might be a problem. If a person who is supposed to be set apart from the world looks like the world, maybe they're not set apart. Paul says that, that not all division's wrong. It's division amongst a family that's wrong. He continues in, in let's see, in verse 19. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. 
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, and we're going to kind of focus in on that tonight, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let, the, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Verse 32, But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give you directions when I come. Okay, Paul kind of ends that discourse right there. We start chapter 12 right after that, starts dealing with uh, spiritual gifts and that sort of thing. But an unworthy manner. Paul gives one example as to why the Corinthian church is all messed up. When they take the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, the, the communion, the bread and the wine, it's a big mess. Folks are using this, this sacrament as an excuse to either be gluttonous, so they're coming up, they're hogging all the bread, they're taking it all for themselves, or to get drunk. They're serving the wine, and people are saying, yeah, hit me. You know, give me another round of, of communion. I'm, gonna, I'm still thirsty. And they're ending up drunk at the Lord's Supper. Now, now, the Bible is very clear that while drunkenness is a sin, drinking is not. Now, for some of you, you're led by your conscience, and you do not drink, and that's okay. And I would encourage you to continue in that. For others, there is a freedom. You know, For those who are um, alcoholics or recovering alcoholics or um, who have a problem, an addictive personality maybe, um, then abstaining from things like alcohol, uh, while it might be legal, while it might be – you might have the liberty to do so, it's not, it's not profitable for you. Because it might end up with you in a ditch in a car upside down somewhere because you didn't know when to turn things off. But then there are folks who, you know what? It's the same thing for them to have a glass of Pepsi as it is for them to have a glass of wine or, or a, uh, a, a, a mug of beer. And, and that's where it starts and that's where it ends. The Bible says do not be given to drunkenness, to remain sober-minded. And so, so there really is this... this uh, this issue of conscience we must deal with. And for these folks, it's not that they were drinking the wine at the communion. It's because they were getting drunk on the wine at communion. And there's a big difference there. So Paul says, when they got together, they drank in an unworthy manner. What does that mean? It means when they got together to have the sacrament. You know, what we do is we bring out a table and we have our shiny gold things and one's got you know, matzo meal that's from the late 50s, and the other one's got um, – that's a joke. I bought it like last year. It's pretty It's pretty good. If, if that stuff would last through – I'm sure that in the new heavens and the new earth, there were somewhere be matzo somewhere that we've just retained because it, it lasted through uh, all the judgments of the book of Revelation. And then we have our grape juice. We don't serve wine. 
uh, because we don't know everybody who's going to take communion that day. Um, we don't want to serve alcohol to somebody whose conscience doesn't allow them to do that. So we just have grape juice. It's just unfermented uh, wine, basically. We bring that out, and that's how we do it. Well, for these folks, they treated that moment. They treated this connection with God, this highly symbolic, we call it a sacrament, time of worship, like it was any other thing. You know, we're going to get together for a potluck on Sunday. We're going to go out, we're going to spill food. We're going to eat too much. We're just going to have a good time. We're going to maybe have more sweets than we normally would. Might be, we might just, in our zeal to try everything, get too much food. That's usually what I do. I swear I start with a spoonful of everything, and then by the end of it, I have this plate I can barely carry. And then I eat too much, and I go sleep it off at home. But they were treating this moment of connection with God that was a time to proclaim the death of Jesus, the, the all-satisfying death of Jesus to God the Father, and treating it like anything else. Instead of looking for an opportunity to serve one another, they went in saying, I hope I get a bigger piece of bread than anybody else. I'm starving. Instead of looking at their, their neighbors saying, how can I serve them? They went into this saying, how can I serve me? How can, I, how can I make sure I get the most? This was the unworthy manner. This was the common or irreverent way that they treated uh, the Lord's Supper. We're not a mystical church. We don't believe as the Catholics do that when you take the bread and you take the wine that it actually becomes Jesus' flesh and blood in your body. That's the, the, the idea of transubstantiation, that, that it physically turns into the flesh and blood of Jesus when you consume it. We don't believe that. But we do believe, as the Bible teaches, that, that the, the bread and the wine, or the cracker and the grape juice as we do, is highly symbolic. That when we're doing this, it means something. Let me give you a really good example. This is just a hunk of metal. You know, this is my wedding ring. It's just a circle of metal. It's got a little bit of regular gold, a little bit of white gold. Um, had it for a long time. And and this right here, this slipping it on of my, my ring finger, it's getting a lot harder as I get older. Um, it, it does not make me faithful to my wife. I'm faithful to my wife because I love her and because of the vows I've made to her. Okay? If I remove this ring, it doesn't change that. I'm not suddenly free to go do whatever I want. This ring has no power in and of itself to change me. However, I lost it once. And so one of the things I continuously do is I take my thumb and I just touch it. I just make sure it's there. Because I lost it. I couldn't figure out where it went. Uh, it's, it's one of the good news, bad, no, bad news stories of my life. I had lost so much weight at one point that it just slipped off my finger and I didn't even feel it. And that, those days are far behind me, unfortunately. Now, now it's not going anywhere. Um, but now, but still, that was like 12 years ago. 12 years later, I was walking just yesterday somewhere. I was walking with my wife and I remember touching it thinking, okay, it's still there. It reminds me, when I look at it, it still reminds me of the vows I made to my wife, what it represents, the eternity of it all, the, the lifetime commitment that I've made to, to this woman and how that's turned into children and, and how we are together you know, in this life. The ring in and of itself doesn't have that power, 
but it's symbolic of the power that's invested in it. Same thing with with the Lord's Supper. You can go. The, I'm not gonna lie to you. The the matzo came from tops. It's not magic matzo. We don't get it from a special producer. It might be kosher, but we're not Jewish, so that doesn't matter. <laughs> so um, it comes in a box, and we keep it in our cupboard, and then we go and we get Welch's grape juice the same Welch's grape juice that anybody else is drinking on a daily basis and we take that and we put it and we store it and then we bring it out and that's when we you know we have communion there's no power in those elements but they're symbolic of the great power that we are now coming into communion with that's the word communion we are connecting with we are being in common with Jesus and his death and his burial and his resurrection and for the Corinthians they were just like, oh, communion. Good, I'm hungry. Good, I, I want to I wanna eat something now because I'm, I, I don't know when I'm going to eat again. Oh, they're serving wine at this thing. Awesome, because that message was really dry and I'm bored. And I think that a little bit of alcohol will make things go down a little smoother. There was no reverence. There was no connection to Christ. It was just bread and wine for them. It was the same bread and wine that they ate and drank uh, at every meal that they had. Verse 21, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. A meal, I don't care what religion, what culture, what race, what creed, what country you come from, there is nothing as uniting as a meal. Somebody comes in from out of town, what do we want to do? Have a meal. Why? Because we're going to sit down. We're going to talk. We're going to let go. We're going to unite. We're going to be in communion with them. We're going to just have a good time and eat good food, hopefully, at the same time. And in this, everybody was neglecting one another. They were already divided. But even in their little divisions, you know, the group of, uh, uh, of this group over here who was dividing from everybody else, they'd go and get their communion, and they were still only worried about themselves. Not even thinking about their little clique or group that they were a part of. They just, I got to make sure I get everything that I want. So focused on themselves, they neglected everybody. Is it wrong to focus on yourself? No. Is it wrong to solely focus on yourself? Yes. It's not an either or. It's both. We must keep after ourselves and we must look to serve others as well. There was no self-control. They neglected other people, and then there was no self-control. They were just overeating and over-drinking. Fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Right? Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit, love, peace, self-control. And for these folks, there was no self-control. So in this highly symbolic moment that proclaims the death of Jesus, one where the Holy Spirit inevitably is involved in working through the people, obviously... For some, they were not connected because they were focused on themselves. They were There was no self-control. One over eight or one went neglected. The other one got drunk. Ultimately, they were focused on themselves only. And this problem is uh, the general problem that, that most people in our country, including the church, face. We are so focused on ourselves that we neglect to serve other people. We neglect to love them. In fact, it feels as though when we do serve, 
that we're being taken advantage of. That, that just the act of doing something for somebody else means that we have now come into submission to them. And if we don't get a thank you or we don't get some type of a response, well, we're not doing that again. Well, really, is that – then our heart wasn't for, for serving. Our heart was for applause. There's a difference. When we are serving, we're doing so not because of the adulation or the applause or the thanks we're going to get. We're going to do so because we serve Jesus. Because he would, he would look upon us and give us the privilege to do something so magnificent. Whether it's, whether, you know, and you go to, I forget what the scripture is, but Jesus says, you know, when I was thirsty, you gave me water. Can you think of something more basic than just giving somebody a cup of water? Jesus didn't get, I, I wish I could find that. If somebody wants to find that while I'm gone, it's in one of the gospels. Jesus says, you know, I was thirsty, you gave me a cup of water. He doesn't say, I was thirsty, you dug me a well. I was thirsty, you built me a cistern. I, I, was, I was hungry, and you took me to the fanciest uh, meal uh, or the fanciest, fanciest restaurant in, in town. He said, you, I, you were, I was thirsty, and you gave me water. So ba the things that we're expected to do for the Lord might be big and grandiose. I mean, there might be potential to go to a third world country to be a missionary and something like that. But maybe we're just going to give a glass of water to somebody who's thirsty. Serving can be as, as simple as that. We made this little banner up here. It says, love Jesus, serve others. And if you're serving someone, you're showing them love. You're saying, hey, I, even if you could do something for me, I don't care. I'm giving you this. I'm doing this for you because I am loved by Jesus and because I love him in return. So how do we fix this? Well, let me back up a little bit. Focus on themselves, not focus on others. Paul doesn't say eating and drinking is bad. Paul says you have your own homes. Eat, eat your food there. You Use that place for, for getting your meal, your nourishment. You're going to drink alcohol? Drink a glass of wine at home. Don't wait to get to church to have yourself a glass of wine. Do it at home. See, we would, we would look at that and say, oh, eating and drinking is bad. Shouldn't do that. No, he just said eating and drinking, making that the sole purpose of communion, that's bad. So instead of focusing on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the folks came in and just said, how can I get for me? How can I make sure I'm taken care of? How can I make sure that I don't go without? Okay. To me, that sounds very American. I don't mean to just throw America under the bus, but that just sounds like America to me. How do we fix that? Well, Paul says this in verse 28, let a person examine himself and then, and or then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Self-examination. We are experts. I'm an expert. If you came to me and say, Pastor Tony, I'm just having the hardest time losing weight. I would give you 15 different ways to lose weight. Look at me. doesn't mean I'm using those 15 ways. It means I just know them. I have this knowledge. Because self-examination, I can look at you and say, hey, you, maybe if you tried this, no carbs, extra carbs, you know, this or that, Daniel fast, who knows. But self-examination is much harder. Because you, you, you have to look at yourself. 
Some of us, we, we know the mess we've made and we don't want to look at it. If I don't see it, it's not there. If I don't, if I don't examine myself, I don't have to admit how short I am falling of the glory of God every single day. Now we have the privilege to look at somebody else and say, you know what? I care about and love you so much that I want to talk about something I see in your life. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I'm, I'm, not, I'm not perceiving this correctly, but I think you're doing something dangerous. I think you're getting involved in something sinful. I, I want to just you know, put it out there and then you can, we can discuss it or, or whatever. We have the ability to go and to rebuke somebody, to correct somebody. However, that's a privilege. That's not something that's not something we appoint ourselves to be. We don't get to just say, "You know what? Today I'm going to be the judge of people." That's what I want to be. You, I don't like that hat. You, I don't like that shirt. You, you're eating too much. You, you go eat more. And what about you? No, no, no. I'm the judge of others, not myself. Self-examination. We have to start with ourselves. Where am I falling short? Look at your life. What did I do this last week? What have I done since January 1st? Where is my life right now? What choices got me to where I am today? How closely am I really following Jesus? Paul says, you know, they were taking a, you know, to examine themselves. You know, I don't know if, I don't know how we walk away saying, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm good to take communion. I think I'm all right. I'm pretty sinless. I'm pretty, I'm pretty perfect. I think I'm going to be all right taking communion. No, I think that if you examine yourself, you're always going to find something. And we're not going to make stuff up. I mean, it's just, you know what? I just haven't been reading my word as faithfully as I should. You know what? I pray out of obligation. I don't pray because I love to. You know, I went to church last week. I didn't say hi to anybody. You know what? There was, there was an altar call, and I didn't even go up. You know, this happened, and I didn't do that. My friend needed help, and I didn't help him out. And, you know, my wife did this, and I didn't compliment her. I didn't. My kids needed this, and I just told them I was too busy, or I, uh, I was too tired, or you know, just I gave them an excuse. I, I read the Bible, but I just I don't believe it. These are big, hard questions that we we if we don't self-examine ourselves we're not gonna we're never gonna know these are some things that nobody's ever gonna call us out on you know those moments at home when you're too harsh with the kids who else is gonna see that maybe your wife but if she doesn't say anything who else is gonna say anything self-examination paul tells these people examine yourself look at your life look at where you're at this will inevitably lead to repentance. Honestly, if it does not lead to repentance, point two is needed. We have to be honest with ourselves. Going back to the weight issue, I could look at myself and say, you know what? I feel okay. Sure, I'm, I'm, I'm obese, but, you know, I look all right. I, I just not be honest with myself, you know? Everything's fine. Nothing's going to turn out bad. I've examined myself, and I examine myself and say that I'm okay. That's me being dishonest with myself. You know, I examine myself. My gambling problem's not that bad. My pornography pet problem's not that bad. 
Not being honest with yourself. I I only get dr drunk and kick the dog like once a month now. No big deal. Not being honest with yourself. Oh, I read my Bible two or three times this year already. Come on. How many more times I got to read it? That's plenty. Not being honest. I mean, you're honest in the assessment, but honestly, that's not that great. But when we are judged, he says, Paul says in verse 32, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The Lord disciplines us differently than he will discipline the world. Um, the wrath of God has been poured out upon Jesus. And for those who do not believe, we read this in the book of Revelation, the wrath of God will just, it's not the ultimate wrath of God, but we just see stuff going crazy. And there will be this condemnation to hell where the, where the wrath will continue to pour out upon these people in hell for eternity. Okay, we get that. But, but, but the Bible teaches us that if we will submit ourselves to the authority of Jesus and allow him to discipline us, it will be discipline not to condemn us to hell. It will be discipline, because honestly, that's not discipline. If, you're, if you don't have a chance to, to correct yourself, it's not a discipline. We are disciplined so that we might be corrected. We are disciplined in the same manner that we would discipline our own child. You know, today, we were in Canastota, we were on Peterborough, and we were getting out into the street. Me and Ethan, we were on the driver's side, we're parked in the street, and so there's cars coming through, you know, pretty fast. And Ethan wants to just go right out. And my first instinct was to stop him, and then because I was scared he was going to get hit, yell at him. You know, like, what are you doing? You, That's crazy. And then I thought, no, this is a moment where I can teach him why we're being safe right here. And I said, see down the road. See, we got to stay back a little bit. We look down. See if any cars are coming. See, no cars are coming. Okay, we got to go. We got to get in the car fast. Okay, because somebody comes by a little too close, we're going to get hurt. But if there's no cars coming, it's the safest time we can get right back into the car. You see, I could have just yelled at him poured out wrath but instead it was a discipline here this is why we're doing this so that eventually one day he can go out and do that himself you know when he's 30 he can go <laughs> that was a joke next time laugh you can you you can navigate this on your own you've been trained up you've been discipled to to be able to take care of yourself god disciplines those he loves if god is disciplining you yes it it, it still hurts I don't know if the pain is any less or worse, uh, whether we know it's discipline or rebuke or whatnot, but discipline, while it might be painful, it's for our benefit. It's so that we will be discipled, that we will be trained up, that we will be uh, a person or a people who aren't making the same mistakes over and over and over again. If we're honest with ourselves, we can answer. The, we can ask these questions, and, and and not just feel guilty about them, but actually do something about them. Where is there sin in my life? Should I should I be doing this thing, or whatever it is? Is this really something God would have me to do? If Jesus were sitting next to me right now, would we be doing this together, or would I be afraid to bring this up? It's not that he would make me feel ashamed. It's not that it would make me dirty. But if he found out, how would that make me feel? He already knows. But I mean, this is this is the practice. Is this sin or is it not sin? You know, what 
maybe there's something I should be doing and I'm not doing it. And and, and I'm I'm afraid somebody's gonna find out or or I'm afraid it's gonna be too late or or, or, or there's some fear involved. What should I be doing that I'm not doing? Where do I need to repent? Where where have I recognized that yes, there is sin in my life, but I haven't repented of it. I haven't turned around, I haven't turned away from that sin. Where is it? Be honest with ourselves. The good news is that Jesus, the God whom we love and serve, serve and who loves us so much more than we can imagine, his sacrifice includes the dumb things that we're going to do today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. That we now, as becoming children of God, we are now disciplined when we sin rather than just condemned. Romans 8 and 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we are in Christ tonight, there is no condemnation, but there sure as heck might be discipline. They might feel the same, but for a different purpose. You know, when we go to war with other countries, it's very rarely to discipline them. You guys did bad. Let's fix this. You know? It's to free captives and to set people free and a whole different scenario. But when we correct ourselves, you know, it's it's discipline. When somebody breaks into our house, we don't we don't discipline them. When our kids break something in the house, there might be discipline for that. Church, the, Jesus might discipline you, and that just means you're his child. That means at the end of this all, you can say, you know what? The Lord's disciplining me. He's, he's making me a disciple, but that's because I'm his child. Not a hired hand, not an afterthought, not forsaken or hopeless. I'm his child. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. He loves me so much that he would rather discipline me than allow me to stay in my folly for the rest of my days. And so in Paul, should I commend you in this? Should, you know, you guys are getting drunk and you guys are being gluttonous and not serving one another. Would it be, be more loving for, for God to never address this issue at all? Or for God, God to call up a man inspired by the Holy Spirit to write a letter to this church saying, hey, see this thing you're doing? You need to stop that. See communion and what you've done to it? We need to change this. Now, we don't know if the next communion they had or the next Lord's Supper they celebrated in Corinth, if it was good or bad. We don't know. But we know that God took time to correct them. And that God takes time to correct us as well. The cost of worshiping Jesus in communion, the cost is, is these two questions. Or, or, or I should say self-examination and the question of whether or not we're going to be honest with ourselves. That's the great cost. It's going to cost us our pride. It's going to cost us uh, our independence, our, our ill-perceived uh, independence. But what's the reward? communion the reward is being connected to christ in his death and and, and in his resurrection in his in his victory over sin and death and his dying to this world as we are commanded to die to this world that is the great reward there is a right way to take communion let's just boil this all down there's a right way to take communion there's a wrong way to take communion there's a way that glorifies Jesus. There's a way that satisfies our needs. 
whether whether we see it as just a ritual as another thing we do on Sunday whether we even care and there's a right way and a wrong way and the wrong way brings discipline and rebuke and the right way is not just not just approval by God because we're approved in Jesus but connection true communion with God and practically how does that look how does that feel what does that uh, how does that play out in your life it sets in motion the idea of loving Jesus serving others and changing the world if if you are changed by the God of the universe so radically that that literally black becomes white up becomes down I mean I mean dying to yourself means life for you giving away means receiving all things if you do that you will inevitably seek to want to serve other people and in serving other people you will change the world it might just be the world that involves your neighbors and you or your family or your kids or your wife or your husband but it will change your world it will change how you interact with your boss it will change how you interact with your co-workers it will change how you interact at church because the fuel for the fire has been changed for the Corinthian church before Paul's rebuke through the Holy Spirit they were they were Paul says when you guys did Lord the Lord's Supper it wasn't even the Lord's Supper at that point yeah yeah you guys took bread took wine took a moment in a service looks like communion looks like Lord's Supper he said, but you guys are all wrong it's not even the Lord's Supper I'm very proactive and concerned that we do church in the most biblical way so that we don't find out after a Sunday or at the you know standing before God you guys weren't really doing church you guys were you guys were all self-motivated you guys all were seeking to fulfill your own desires and needs like that's just gonna be the worst like that's just not gonna be a good day for me if I get to the end of my life and find out that this was all for naught so so I seek to do things the right way and to make sure that we teach things in the right way so that we can all stand before God not self-righteous but in Christ just saying Lord here this is all we got this little offering this is this is who we are then hearing well done good and faithful servant finding out that the Lord saw us when we gave that cup of water Dan did you find the verse Matthew 25 35 thank you I saw you over there on your phone diligently looking Matthew 25:35 says this Well, starting 31 when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right but the goats spoiler alert you don't want to be a goat on the left then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by the, my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. 
I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, and feed you, and thirsty, and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger, and welcome you, or naked, and clothe you? And when did we see you sick, or in prison, and visit you? Notice that the ones who are, are concerned with pleasing Christ didn't say, you bet we did. Yeah, we did all that stuff. We did a bunch of other stuff too you didn't even mention. They're so, they can't even fathom that Jesus saw them in those moments. Jesus says, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it, to one of excuse me as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers you did it to me verse 41 then he will say to those on the left depart from me you cursed uh into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels for i was hungry and you gave me no food i was thirsty and you gave me no drink i was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and uh, naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me then they also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into the eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. <clears throat> Don't get overwhelmed. It's not your job to feed and clothe and visit every person. Okay, there, there are too many people for any one person to minister to. However, that does not mean you do nothing. You, know, you can't live in such extremes. Can't help everybody, but we got to help somebody. We can't help nobody. And so, who in your life can we come into communion with Jesus uh, with as we minister to them and serve them? We see them, they're, they're naked and they need something. They're tired, they need rest. They're sick, they need help. They're, they're, they're thirsty and they need to drink. They're hungry and they need food. Who can we help? Who, who can we just minister to? I was uh, talking to somebody about this uh, fairly recently. Sometimes those who need help are the, the most prideful, and so they're the hardest to help. I'm, hey, let me buy you a meal. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, let me bring – no, I can't have you do that either. But you need this. But I No, I can't have you do that for me. Sometimes the person that needs help is not the one sitting on the street. I mean they need help too, the homeless and all that. But sometimes the ones we're going to run into aren't going to be – they're going to look like you and I. And we're still going to be called to help them. And then one day we'll stand before the Lord and we'll be just like this. We'll just be – what are you talking about? Jesus said, when you did it to the least of these, to the least of these, my brethren, you did it for me. To me, that's reward. To me, if I get no other reward in this life, God has poured upon me such, such riches that I cannot count what he has given me. And that means that when I see my children smile or I get to experience something fun or Go on an adventure or eat a good meal. I mean, that's just icing on the cake. I get to enjoy those in the way that they're supposed to be enjoyed. I know I don't make those things idols anymore. So in conclusion, I want to pray. 
it's not that I'm afraid that any of us are taking communion in the wrong way. That I'm afraid that we're taking communion uh, just not in the right way. You know, we're just we're doing so out of ritual. We're doing so because everybody else is doing it. And I want us to just self-examine ourselves. Where am I at? You know, what what are we doing here? You know, we're gonna have communion on Palm Sunday. Um, that'll be the 29th. Um, so now's the time to start preparing yourself. What am I ready? What do I need to? What what is happening in my life that I need to repent of and confess to the Lord and give back to Him and and ask for help with, so that I can be ready for communion. Let's pray and then we'll then we'll take prayer requests. Pray again and then go home. Jesus, we we love you. We thank you that you've given us something that is so so meaningful, so symbolic, so so practical, Lord, that that we can we can pick up this tiny piece of matzah, this this unleavened bread, and we can feel it and touch it and say, you know what, my, my Lord's flesh is the same, sinless, with it's broken for my sin and for my iniquities. And we could take up this this tiny cup of grape juice and and remember the blood of Jesus that was shed for my sins, not just to cover them, not just to hide them, but to wash them away. As as crimson as my stains were, they have now been washed as white as snow because of this this very blood that this grape juice symbolizes. And so, Lord, I'm praying that you would help us to 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 avoid taking communion in an unworthy manner in a way that is that is it, it all involves ourselves just just us as an individual we're not seeking to serve we're, we're in it for our own uh, flesh Lord but rather we do so in a way that, that serves others as we are connected to you as we remember your death burial and resurrection and Jesus, I pray that as, as communion comes up in a couple weeks, or a couple Sundays rather, that we would be ready. Not perfect, not sinless, not, not, not self-righteous, not religious, but, but coming to you remembering why you did what you did. And the great love in which you did it. Motivated by a love that we can't even fathom. Jesus, help us. Help us to examine ourselves and to be honest with ourselves. To not brush things under the rug. To not just wink at the, the sin that we harbor. Even if we don't have the answers on how to stop it or get rid of it or to, to, to live a different way, may we at least be honest and say, Lord, we are stuck in this place at least. I don't know how to get out of it, but I know it's there and I know it's not pleasing to you and we want out. And then may we cry out to you, knowing that you're the God that rescues stuck kids or, or or I should say sheep that fall into ditches that you go after those ones that stray so please help us Lord and in, in, in whether it's communion preaching music testimonies reading listening whatever it might be may you be glorified may Jesus's name be the name above all names in your name we pray amen